Well, as I said, we're going to take a look at Philippians chapter number 2. Philippians chapter number 2. So if you would open your Bibles uh, there, it would uh, uh, be an encouragement. Um, uh, Brother uh, Matt the other day knows that I appreciate, I love the sound of uh, Bible pages turning. You know, you can't hear uh, the taps on uh, on a, a smartphone screen. I love the sound of pages turning. And so he recorded himself just turning pages in the Bible for me, and that was an encouragement. And uh, thank you for that. But um, uh, let's take a look in Philippians. And in noticing the theme of this book being that of practical Christian living, and the theme of this chapter specifically, chapter 2 here, being the mind of the believer, we come to realize a practical um, focus at the beginning of this chapter being that of unity. Uh, We saw that as we went through the first few verses, and we're going to read today not just 9 through 11, we're actually going to read starting in verse 1 to gain the context for the message today. Uh, But we see the, the, uh, the idea of unity at the beginning of this chapter, and then he slowly funnels his way down into the mind of Christ. In verse 2, we see the goal of unity, but then he says what would the motivation was back in verse number 1. And then in verses 3 through 4, he shows to us the pathway of, uh, to unity, and, uh, and then in verses 5 through 8, the greatest example uh, of this type of mindset. And uh, now we find ourselves, based on all that has been recorded in verses 1 through, uh, through 8, uh, we find ourselves uh, in all the unity requires that there be humility involved. Now, we'll never unite with one another until... We humble ourselves, and this is something that we need to uh, uh, remember. We 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 often we know these things, but oftentimes we just kind of put them off to the side, dismiss them, and we forget. Uh, but we want to be reminded time and time again that if we are to be united, there must be a humbling of ourselves that takes place. You see that where he says, "Let uh, look every man also on the things of others and uh, to esteem others uh, better than or more significant than themselves, uh, than yourselves. The question then that I'd like to ask in, in, in looking at today's topic of the path to true greatness, the question that I would ask is what reason would anyone have for putting the needs of others ahead of their own? Think about it for just a moment. Why would anyone view others as more significant than themselves? Why, why, would, we, why would we do that? Why would anyone view others as more valuable or more important than themselves? You see, humility must uh, uh, take place if we're ever to become united. Let's go ahead and read today, and we'll start in verse number 1, then I'll read through verse number 11. It says, If there be, therefore, any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, If any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other 
better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. In today's text that we're going to be looking at, verse 9, Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of the things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray. Father, we ask, Lord, for wisdom as we get into your book, as we study your word, and Father, as we learn of you. We pray, Lord, that you would watch over this time, that it would be a time of reflection, Father, but most importantly, that it would be a time where a magnifying glass, a spotlight, as it were, were placed on your Son. Bless us, we pray, as we seek your face. For it's in your Son's name we pray. Amen. You see there in verse number 2, the goal of the unity. It says, Fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. So the goal there uh, is fulfilling uh, our, our joy, or the goal of, of all of this is being united, so to speak. But in verse 1, it says, here's the motivation, if there be any consolation. This is one of my favorite words, the, that two-letter word that you see right there at the beginning. If, there's, a, a, there's an idea that flows with that word, if, of are we certain about this? Do we truly believe what is, what is being said here? Do we truly attain? Do we truly possess what is being talked about? If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies. This if is saying not only if you possess the, uh, the, the Spirit of God, if you have the fellowship, he's even going for, further to say if there is. And so uh, a lot of this kind of comes down into play with uh, our, our, our verse of the week uh, uh, this past week was Hebrews eleven six, and it was uh, uh, the idea that uh, we must believe. You see, it's without faith, it is impossible to please him. So this if is determined by our faith. Is there, he's saying, is there any consolation in Christ? Is there any fellowship of the Spirit? Is there? Well, if there is, then become unified. You see there in verses 3 through 4, uh, the pathway of unity, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own, on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. I want you to notice all this. Note first that humility leads to greatness in God's mind and in God's economy. 
God's economy is often the opposite or reversed of what uh, our economy typically is. It's typically the opposite of man. If you think about it, uh, man's idea is for me to truly be great, I need to make sure that I am the top dog. I need to make sure I am number one. And, and we, we look for that special place, the seat of position, and we go to a, uh, maybe we go to a certain place and we expect to be the first one that is recognized or whatever. Uh, you know, the, the idea of no if you want to be great then you need to be the least Christ said the least of these he said the first shall be last and the last shall be first in God's way of doing things most generally speaking we look at it and we go wait a minute that doesn't sound right to my fleshly uh, ideas and desires so as we look at this, there's nothing wrong. I want you to understand something. In the title, I, I titled this, The Path to True Greatness. There's nothing wrong with seeking exaltation from God. I want you to understand that. Many times through the scriptures, it talks about, uh, uh, about uh, finding ways to be exalted and ways to be lifted up by God himself. There's nothing wrong with that. Seeking for God to lift me up. Seeking for God to elevate me. Seeking for God to exalt. It's when I get things turned around and I start to seek for man to exalt. Or I seek to exalt myself. So that's when things start to get awry. There's nothing wrong with seeking exaltation God's way. We ought to desire to be exalted by God this way. This is, this, uh, there's actually quite a bit among the Bible uh, referring to this. If you want to look with me, go back to Matthew chapter 23, and let's see what the, some of the God's Word has to say about this. Look at Matthew chapter number 23. And in, in, in Matthew chapter 23, Jesus is speaking with the scribes and the Pharisees, and uh, he, he uh, chastises them in several different uh, ways. He talks to them about being hypocrites. Look what he says in verse, uh, um, verse 10. Neither be ye called masters, for one is your master, even Christ. But he that is greatest among you shall be your servant. Look at verse 12 with me. And whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased. Notice this next part. And he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. It, it is when we seek to exalt ourselves that we run into problems. But if we, it's, it's kind of like, you know, I, I tell my kids often, and, and, and you've done this with your kids, I'm sure. Uh, but, uh, uh, you know, I try to remind when I used to coach hockey and, and you had that one kid that thought he was, the, he was the cat's meow. You know, he just thought, I am God's gift to the ice rink. And, and you'd, I'd have to remind him. Hey, you don't need to be the one to say that. You just do your thing, you play your game, and let other people make those, uh, those observations. You, you don't point that out. And so having that idea of uh, arrogance and pride about ourselves, that's when we run into problems. You know, Jesus is talking here. He says to seek to be the last, humble yourself, and God will lift you up. Look, at the, uh, look with me at James chapter number 4. James chapter number 4. We're going to look at uh, two verses here in, at, toward the end of the Bible, James, and then we'll look at 1 Peter 5 here in just a moment. James chapter number 4. Look at verse 10 with me. It says, Humble yourselves, 
in the sight of God, and what? He shall lift you up. You see, there's nothing wrong with me desiring God to lift me up. That's whose eye I want to catch. That's whose attention I want to draw. I want to, God to see and to, to focus. And to, I want to draw his attention because he's the one that I love. It's when I love other people. That becomes idolatry when I love others and desire their eye above his. So we need to understand that this is not necessarily a bad thing to seek the exaltation from God. Look also at 1 Peter chapter 5. Not only has James something to say about this, but 1 Peter, the apostle Peter, has something to say as well. 1 Peter chapter 5, um, look at verse 5. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder, yea, all of you be subject one to another, and be clothed with humility, for God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Let's pause for station identification. Okay, this is WKLBC coming to you live. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves to the elder. And that's usually where we stop. But notice the next part of this verse. Yea. All of you be subject one to another. Be clothed in humility. You see, yes, there is that I need to give the, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the uh, uh, honor and the respect to my elders, yes. But me, personally, also, I am an elder to certain people. And I need to not say, you know what, buddy, you respect me. I don't have to respect you. You submit to me. I don't have to submit to you. That's where we're completely missing it. He says, likewise, be subject one to another and be clothed in humility. The person who is not willing to, to submit or to be subject to someone else is not clothed in humility. And why is that such a big deal? The next part of that verse, verse number five, says, For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. The last thing that I would ever desire, and the last thing you should desire, the very last thing at the bottom of the list should be that God resists you. <laughs> Yesterday I was uh, digging some holes and I was out in the yard, and I was uh, running through the muck and the mire, and I, I, I was all sweaty and nasty, and, and I thought to myself, I'm going to go in and give my wife a hug and a kiss. And then I thought better about that and figured, no, as soon as I walk up, I'll probably be stiff-armed, and there won't be any of that happening. Do you want to be resisted by God himself? I don't. I don't want to be resisted by God, but he resists the proud. This isn't one of those suggestive type of things. This is, a, this is a statement. God resists the proud. Are you, are you too proud to humble yourself? Well, I like things done my way. Are you too proud to submit to someone? Well, you don't understand. My way is the right way. Are you too proud because God resists the proud. Notice what it says in verse 6, though. 
Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. Why? That he may exalt you in due time. It's okay to seek God's exaltation. That's okay. The problem is we're too full of ourselves to humble ourselves and let him. We, we want to exalt ourselves. We want to lift ourselves up. Let me show you one more example of this. If you go back to the book of Luke, go back to the, the, the gospel of Luke, I want to show you an example. Jesus is teaching uh, on humility in Luke chapter number 14. And, uh, you know, he's talking to them all about uh, their attitudes toward people. He's, he's talking to them about uh, humbling themselves and being willing to sacrifice for others. Look what he says. Uh, look what he says starting in verse number 7, will you? He says, And he put forth a parable to those which were bidden when he marked how they chose out the chief rooms, saying unto them, When thou art bidden of any man to a wedding, Sit not down in the highest room, lest a more honorable man than thou be bidden of him. And he that bade thee uh, and him come, uh, say to thee, Give this man place, and thou begin with shame to take the lowest room. But when thou art bidden, go and sit down in the lowest room. And when thou art bade, thee cometh, he may say unto thee, Friend, go up higher. Then shalt thou have worship in the presence of them that sit at meat with thee. For whosoever exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be, shall be exalted. Jesus' idea of the whole thing, he uses the idea of a wedding feast, and he says, uh, you, you know how it is, you go to a wedding uh, reception, and, and a lot of times, depending on the type of reception it is, they'll have the uh, the uh, table, I used to call it the dignitary table. Whenever we would, uh, we, we would go to these functions, and all the pastors sat at the dignitary table, and then all the lowly church people, I hated that, I hated that with a passion, and but you go to these weddings, and you know you've got the whole wedding party, and they've got their their table, they're seated, and then uh, you have all the other tables because you're putting the attention on the bride and the groom, and then all the uh, uh, the wedding party seated next to the bride and the groom, and that's where the attention is focused. And, and, and <laughs> would you walk in now? Somebody may say, "Yeah, I'd do it, and I've done it before." But would you walk in and sit down right there at the dignitary table if you're not part of the wedding? party this is what jesus is saying he says look when you go in you find the lowest seat you find the worst choose the worst for yourself and then let the person who is giving the feast come to you and say why are you sitting over here you should be up here you should be up front and let them be the one to exalt you. It'd be a whole lot better than if you went and you sat at the wrong place and had to have someone come and say, that's not where you're supposed to be sitting. You go sit over there somewhere. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. You know, whose attention do you seek? That's the question. And it really kind of comes down to this because back in our passage again, it all stems around these terms if 
Do we believe? The question is, do you believe God enough to take him at his word when he says, humble yourself and God will exalt you? The problem is we don't believe God enough. Many people just, oh, I believe in God. I believe in God. God's going to take care of me. God's going to take care of everything. But I, I, I got I, I to gotta do this, and I got to do that, and I got to do this, and I got to do that, and I got to. Wait a minute. Either I believe God or I don't. Either I believe when God says, humble yourself and I will lift you up. He means it. Or I don't believe that. And my pride is keeping me from being exalted. Think about it for just a moment. Whose exaltation do I want? Do I want another person's exaltation who I might know for the next 5, 10, 20, 60, 70 years? Or do I want the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the creator of the universe, in whose presence I can be for eternity, do I want his attention? Do you have faith in God to lift you up, or do you feel the need to do it yourself? Do you seek to have the attention of other people, or do you believe that he sees and he rewards? That's what Hebrews eleven six is talking about. It says, With, without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must first believe that God is. That's what Hebrews eleven six tells us. First, I believe that God is. Second, I believe that he is the rewarder of those that diligently seek him. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. But when I believe that God is, and I believe that he rewards those who diligently seek him. And I see things like this where it says, humble yourself in the sight of God and he will lift you up. He will reward me if I am seeking him. That's where the reward comes. I want you to note something else here in our text. Philippians chapter 2, verse 9 says, Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. Note that the Father highly exalted the Son. Why? Look at verse, verse 9. This is wherefore. That wherefore is a, 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 a statement based on the preceding elements. Because God, Jesus... Uh, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. In other words, he was willing to let that go. He was willing to uh, step aside, made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of men. Thank, thank just for a moment. The creator of the universe took upon himself the likeness of mankind. That's humility. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death. Even the death, the worst death, the most horrific death, the most shameful death, the most embarrassing death of the cross. He humbled himself to that point. And because of that, God also hath highly exalted him and hath given him a name which is above every name. <laughs> think, think for just a minute with me. 
how does how do you give God something? <laughs> it's, 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 people ask things like, well, what do you give to the person who has everything? How, how do you give, what's, what's a better name than God? I mean, Jesus is God. What's a better name than that? But it says here, he, says, he hath given him a name which is above every name. Remember something, that Jesus, God the Son, took on himself human form. Until the day Mary and Joseph gave him that name, or the name was prophesied to him, or however you want to look at that, until Jesus was named Jesus, that wasn't his name. He was God the Son. He was known as many different things. But until he, get, he was in human form, he did not have this name. Jesus is the name. Christ is his office. The term Christ means Messiah, deliverer. Jesus is his name, and God the Father highly exalted his name above every name. Now, let's, let's think about this for just a minute. Because the, uh, the term uh, is huper upsu'u. Eh, that's a funny one, isn't it? Uh, it's, it's, the first part of that word is where we get our English word. It's the huper word. It's the, where we get our English word hyper. Okay, so those of us who have hyperactive children understand what is being said here. You have your active child and you have your hyperactive child. You got your active, hyperactive. I was hyperactive. I still can be hyperactive. It's, a, it's an elevated, oh, highly elevated, way up, turbo, okay? This term, huper upsuo, is only used one time in the New Testament, and it's right here. Hath highly exalted. You see, God will exalt, but Christ he hath highly exalted, top shelf, no one higher, and has given him a name above every name. It, it, look with me at Revelation, the book of Revelation, last book in the Bible here, chapter 5, to see, to see probably the best uh, view of what is being said here. Revelation chapter 5. Look at verse 1 with me. And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the backside sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? Notice this. And no man in heaven nor in earth nor under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. John says, And I wept much, because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. 
John's writing about what he is seeing and, and the book has been handed out and the angel cries out, who is worthy to open the book? And he says, no one was worthy. And it brought John to tears. He, he fell to his knees crying and he wept, it says, because no man was found worthy to open and it broke his heart. And I believe that at that moment in my mind's eye, give me just a moment to have that, uh, that little bit of liberty to in my mind's eye, what I see taking place is here's, here's the throne room of God and the book is there and the angel's saying, is there anyone worthy? And there's silence and there's no one that is able to do it. Have you been in those situations before where someone says anyone, anyone, and all you can hear is crickets? Even the crickets were silent, I believe. Look at verse 5 though. And one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not. (laughs) Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat on the throne. Do you see this beauty? It says who it says who is worthy and no one was worthy and then one of the elders says, "Wait a minute. There's Jesus. He's worthy." It says the lamb that appeared as if it had been slain. He comes and he takes the book out of the hand of the one on the throne. At the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus. Look at verse uh, 10. of Keep your hand in Revelation. Go back to Philippians to our text because I want to try to draw these two together. Keep your hand in Revelation chapter 5. Look at Philippians chapter 2 verse 10. It says, And at the name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see that? At the name of Jesus every knee shall bow of the things in heaven, in earth, under the earth. Now go back with me again to Revelation chapter 5. I want you to see this. This is something that just gets, it gets my, me so excited. In verse number 8, and when he had taken the book, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation and has made us unto our God kings and priests and we shall reign on the earth look at verse 11 with me and I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the beast and the elders and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice worthy is the lamb that was slain 
claim to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Catch this. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them heard I saying blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the lamb forever and ever and the four beasts said amen the four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped him that liveth forever and ever. Do you see the connection here? Jesus Christ one day will be worshipped by every tongue, by every person, by every creation. He may not be worshipped today. He may not be paid attention to now. Some people may reject him, but there's coming a day where no tongue will be silent. And everything that is in heaven, that is on the earth, and that is under the earth, will proclaim Jesus to be Lord. I don't know about you, but that gets me excited. All will worship Him. Either they will lovingly worship Him, or simply by realization of who He was all along. Those who willingly submit to him now as Lord will be saved. Every tongue will confess either willingly or by simple realization. Don't misunderstand me because there are some that say that this is teaching universal salvation. No, this is not teaching universal salvation. This is the Bible does not teach that people will have a second chance after death. The Bible does not teach that. It would be it would I love there are people that I love with all my heart that I really I really would like to see them saved. I really would like to see them place their trust in the shed blood of Jesus Christ as opposed to man's effort which can get them nowhere. This is not teaching universal salvation. It's teaching universal worship. And there's coming a day where even Satan and his angels will have to say, I'm done. I have no power. And even in that under the earth pit that was created for the devil and his angels, they too will worship and recognize, yes, Jesus is Lord. Those who reject Jesus as God today will one day recognize too. You see, this is one of those things that saddens me when I think about the people today who reject Him. I would much rather bend my knee to God in love and reverent adoration than to bend my knee to God in regret and remorse. But there are going to be people who have to do that. It says back in our text for today in Philippians, to the glory of God, the Father. Hmm. 
You know, God is glorified by the sun being worshipped. Did you know that? God the Father is glorified by God the Son being worshipped. The Father finds pleasure in the Son. And the Son finds pleasure in the Father. And so when we come at all of this, it's... (laughs) You know, God is receiving glory by Jesus receiving glory. Jesus receives glory by God the Father receiving glory. And we look at all this and it makes perfect sense when it all comes together. You can't glorify the Son without glorifying the Father. You can't glorify the Father without glorifying the Son because they are one. It's beautiful, beautiful doctrine. The person who does not understand humbly serving others does not understand the pathway to true greatness. God himself set out the example. He says, do you want to be exalted? Here's how we do it. And Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, penned the words, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Pastor Andy, I find it awful difficult to serve other people. That's because you don't understand the servanthood of Jesus Christ. Humble, obedient, Serving, selfless, merciful. Listen, this is the path of true greatness. This is how we become truly great. So it gives us the opposite as well. Proud, arrogant, self-centered, self-serving, disobedient. This is the mind of an unbeliever. It's the mind of an unbeliever. Time and time again, the Scripture tells us to be humble. Time and time again, it tells us to put others before ourselves. Time and time again, it is is encouraged to us to not think of ourselves. Jesus, that's what he said. He says, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you. Not as yourself, but as I did. This way. Look not every man on the things of himself, but also on the things of others. The path to true greatness begins with humility. But how do I come by that humility? Well, without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he must believe, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is. Do you believe that God is? Do you believe that there is a God? If you believe that there is a God, do you believe that he came to this earth, robed himself in flesh as the man Jesus Christ? If you believe that, do you believe that he died on the cross to free you from your sins? Do you believe that he offers payment in full, to telestai, paid in full for you. Do you believe that he rewards those that diligently seek him? 
with life eternal. Do you want to be exalted by Him today? It begins on your knees. Humble yourself, therefore, in the sight of God, under the mighty hand of God, and He will lift you up. Father, Your grace, it blows me away. And Father, as I think, Lord, of the awesome truth that I can have a relationship with the God who so loved that He gave. Father, it, it, it drives me to my knees. I'm not worthy of that. I don't deserve the creator of the universe to love me. I don't deserve the creator of the universe to want a relationship with me. I don't deserve this. But Father, not only that, I did not deserve the creator of the universe to serve me, to die for me. But Father, you desire to have that relationship with me and you love me. So, Father, help me to have the mind of Jesus Christ. Help me to humble myself before the throne of God. Father, I pray the same for all those who have tuned in today, that they would understand Jesus' humility, His sacrifice of Himself on the cross, obedient unto that horrific, embarrassing, humiliating death of the cross of Calvary. I pray, Father, that you would bless. It's in your Son's name I pray. Amen.